0: Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Welcome aboard! There's... A question still hanging over from last week some people attempted to answer it but no correct answer what beverage did louis pasteur improve the keeping qualities of through pasteurization if you know the answer to that you give us a call at 514-790-0800 you can also text your questions and comments to 514-800 i'm George schwartz my background is chemistry and i direct mcgill's office for science and society where we have the mandate of separating fact from fiction, sense from nonsense, keeping you up to date on what is happening in the world of science, and hopefully keep you out of the clutches of charlatans. And these days, as you know, Uh, Both of those are are quite challenging tasks because of the tremendous amount of misinformation that is out there uh, from the charlatans and, of course, also the difficulty of keeping up to date with what is happening. Well, obviously, today we can't ignore that uh, uh, elephant that uh, is again wandering through the room, and that is the Omicron variant. Well, we've heard a lot about variants before and the possibility that they are more infectious and that uh, they may even result in more severe cases of COVID-19. Well, just uh, yesterday we heard about uh, a rather novel uh, variant emerging from South Africa. It has been called Omicron, uh, which is a letter in the Greek alphabet and they're using Greek alphabet letters to name all of these different uh, variants. So uh, let's just talk for a moment here about what a variant uh, is. As we've discussed before, in order for the virus to replicate, it has to infect uh, a cell. It cannot just replicate outside of, uh, of a human or outside of an animal. It has to hijack the genetic machinery of a cell in order to reproduce. In order to gain entry into the cell, it uses proteins that are on the surface of the virus, very much like a key, and they have to fit into a receptor on the surface of the cell, very much like a lock. That receptor is called the ACE2 receptor. And when this uh, spike protein on the surface of the uh, virus fits into that receptor, the virus gains entry into the cell, and uh, that is the uh, criterion that has to be met for it to start reproducing the question of course about uh, the entry into the cell depends on how good a key it is if it is a perfect key it enters easily if it is a less than perfect key uh, it has more difficulty that is you know the key is a little bit bent but nevertheless it, it can enter However, what if that key becomes even better at entering? What if it becomes lubricated, let's say, so that it slides even more easily into that uh, into that lock? That is what uh, the concern is about the new variants, the change in structure of that spike protein. Now, proteins are just long chains of amino acids. And if you change some of those amino acids for a different one, that can alter the shape of that spike protein. And perhaps it can alter it in such a way that it fits better into that receptor. Well, in the case of this uh, Omicron uh, variant, there are a lot of changes in that spike protein. Many of the amino acids are replaced by other amino acids. Now, of course, any time that a virus uh, multiplies inside of a mammalian cell, there's always the possibility of errors uh, being incorporated into the structure of the RNA, which is the the basic genetic background of of, of the virus. That is the wrong amino acid may be put into the spike protein. Well, in this particular case, there are a lot of changes. Uh, There are, I think, 32 of the amino acids that have been replaced by others in this spike protein. And it isn't yet clear exactly what that means. It certainly does not mean that it is going to cause more serious disease. That, that is not uh, determined by the number of uh, mutations in, 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 in the uh, genetics of the virus. The mutations refer to amino acids being replaced by others, in this case, in the in spike protein. Now, the more of these amino acids are replaced, the the greater the change in the structure of that spike protein and the possibility that it it becomes a a better key for the lock. So at this time, we don't really know that yet. It does seem that that it is more infectious, but that's just a a very preliminary study. And uh, at this point, we really can't go any further than that. But again, remember something, is that variants can only occur upon a viral infection because it is only when the virus is attempting to replicate itself inside of a cell that it can make an error that causes a new variant. So the best way to protect against variants is to not get infected in the first place. And you know what that is. I mean, you have to protect yourself as much as possible using masks, using distancing, and of course, with the the vaccine. Now, whether or not the vaccine will protect against this particular variant, at this point is impossible to say because they will have to do the testing in the laboratory. And I, I think we will have some idea about that in a couple of weeks, but it's impossible to know right, right now. Of course, the measures that are being taken are the uh, uh, usual, uh, the imploring of people to get vaccinated more to keep social distance. And uh, in this case, to keep people from South Africa, where this uh, first appeared, from uh, uh, going to other countries. Now, this is not a question of, of punishing South Africa. Of course it's not. <laughs> it's uh, It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It, it's just a question of protecting the rest of the world. because. The most confirmed cases so far, about 100, are in South Africa. And wherever there have been other cases, such as in Botswana, Netherlands, Hong Kong, Germany, the UK, Australia, Denmark, Italy, Israel, Belgium, the Czech Republic, it all came about from people coming from South Africa. So obviously, uh, it is a protective measure to prevent travel from South Africa. But um, obviously this is is not at all to punish South Africa. In fact, we owe them thanks for uh, unraveling the mystery of where this virus, uh, this mutant is, is coming from. So hopefully it is not going to turn out to be uh, more infectious and uh, uh, not going to cause more severe disease. But again, those two are not necessarily linked. So just because it's more infectious doesn't mean that the disease is going to be uh, more severe. But obviously, uh, nobody likes to see a novel uh, variant emerge because there's always the possibility that it will wreak uh, more havoc than uh, the previous ones. But uh, the um, introduction of a variant is, uh, is routine because this happens all the time when viruses replicate inside the body there's always the chance of creating a, a variant most of uh, the mutations don't mean anything because the amino acids that are being replaced are not part of the uh, molecule that engages with the receptor so there's you know no difference in the in the spike protein for any practical purpose But if uh, if one of the amino acids or one or more are replaced in the particular domain of that protein that engages with the receptor, then you have a possible uh, issue. Uh, But uh, we will only know that when they uh, determine exactly uh, which part of the uh, of the spike protein, the mutations occur in and uh, how important uh, that is. But uh, at this point, it it does look like uh, it is going to be more infectious. But again, that doesn't mean that it is necessarily going to lead to a a more severe uh, disease. This is not going to be the last uh, uh, variant that we see. Uh, So there are still plenty of letters left in the Greek alphabet to assign to the uh, upcoming uh, uh, variants. But remember that the term variant should in itself uh, not be scary because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of variants that already have formed from this virus but most of them are uh, are inconsequential because they do not involve the way that the the uh, uh, spike protein that is the key to enter into the cell is is affected so it is only when a specific amino acid is replaced by another one in the right position of that spike protein, that's when we have the problem. And the very first one that, that uh, uh, we encountered, if you remember, that was the variant from the UK. Uh, that was really just a consequence of one amino acid being changed for another. But it just happened to be in a position in that molecule which was very important in the way it fits into the uh, ACE2 receptor. So anyway, that's the one that, uh, um, uh, you know, is uh, that this is what we know as of this point. There is no reason to to panic yet because we just don't know enough. But of course, there's reason enough to be alert. And <clears throat> I, I think uh, uh, cutting down on, um, immigration from South Africa, uh, obviously that has to be looked at cancellation of flights from there, or from, you know, other areas where uh, a number of cases have been uh, found. Yes, so uh, it's possible that Canada will have to take some action and uh, limit flights from uh, certain countries in order to uh, offer us protection. So that's, uh, that's what we know so far about uh, Omicron, a word that until yesterday uh, wasn't even in our vocabulary, but now it has been infused into it. The other thing to the Dr. Joe show, we'll check traffic and be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe show on CJAD 800. As I've uh, mentioned before, uh, I have no control over the ads that are played during the show. And I mentioned that because of the ad that you just heard before about uh, chiropractic. All right, we have uh, on the line, Naveen. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. Uh, what beverage did Louis Pasteur? Yes. Uh, wine. real wine. Very good. Very good. That's exactly correct. Mm and the reason that i asked that question yeah. is to is to trigger all of the wrong answers that i've had because oh. there are so many people who have said that mm. uh, Pasteur Pasteurized milk, oh, which really? is which is not the case. Right. The answer, as you said, is wine. Uh, Pasteur discovered that microorganisms caused decay and could yes, be controlled yes. through heat. That mm-hmm. was his major discovery, but he never applied that technique to milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the pasteurization of milk came about forty years right. after his discovery. Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you, Naveen. Keep Very keep, good. Keep well, Dr. Joe. Thank you. Bye. And I think Danny has a question. Hi, Dr. Joe. I, Hi. I'm uh, 78 and I read somewhere that collagen was very good for uh, the skin, the wear and tear of the skin after 78 years. Does it do any good uh, to take these pills? I don't think so. No. I, I know that there's a, I know that there's a lot of hype about that and there are a lot of products that contain collagen. Uh, the um, documented evidence in proper randomized trials is very thin. Uh, Collagen will, uh, in a cream, it will act as a moisture barrier, so it will retard moisture loss from the skin. Uh But there are many other components in in moisturizing creams that will do that. Yeah, they say it. uh, You have to use it for five months, and uh, it's quite expensive. And the pills. Yes, you know, you know who it is. You know who it is really good for? No, the people who sell it. Okay. Well, I guess that's the last bottle I'll buy. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 Okay, Uh, so uh, let me uh, throw out uh, another question. Pierre and Marie Curie are best known for investigating radioactivity. Of course, I mean, you know that. But they also investigated phenomena produced by an Italian woman who had no education. What phenomenon did they investigate? Okay. So, other than radioactivity, the Curies investigated this fascinating phenomenon, supposedly produced by an Italian woman who had absolutely no scientific education. What phenomenon was this that the Curies investigated? If you know that, you go us a call at 514-790-0800. And let me give you uh, one more. Why is a virus transmitted more likely by an infected tuba player than by a clarinet player. okay? So the virus, it is more readily transmitted by an infected tuba player than a clarinet player. I I guess you should not be surprised that that, uh, uh, musical instrument players can transmit the virus because, of course, when you're blowing, you're also releasing saliva, which comes out of the instrument. So uh, there's the mode of transmission there. But why is it more likely from a tuba player than from a clarinet player that is why is is uh transmission more likely by an infected tuba player than by a clarinet player okay all right so um if you know the answer to that you give us a call at 514-790-0800 i also have a, a question uh from drew about uh, uh whether or not hot water cleans better than cold water it certainly does uh, the solubility of, of anything uh, is better in hot water than in cold water, except for gases. Uh, gases uh, don't dissolve well in hot water, of course, because they, they will evaporate more readily out of uh, hot water. Uh, but uh, as far as any kind of dirt goes, yes, hot water is a better solvent. Now, there are cold water detergents out there, of course. And they do work, but not quite as well as as the detergents that are designed to work in hot water. The cold water detergents, uh, the surfactant has somewhat of a different molecular structure, and they have more uh, enzymes that degrade stains in them. Uh, they do they do work, but. Not quite as well, but does that really matter? Because you're actually uh, doing a lot of good for the environment when you use the cold water detergents. It, it, it's a lot of heat that you use in, in, um, you know, in a washing machine. And of course, heat has to be produced by, uh, by uh, uh, burning fuel, or in our case, luckily, by hydroelectric power. But in any case, uh, you are using up uh, uh, a lot of, uh, lot of energy. Uh, okay, uh, so I, again, the uh, the question that I'm asking is about uh, the Curies, what they investigated, and uh, about the difference in in uh, infections by a tuba player and by a clarinet uh, uh, player. Okay, well, let's uh, uh, explore some uh, uh, some other issues uh, here. Uh, I was asked uh, by a rather panicked person whether it was safe to eat a soup made from canned beans if the beans had not been rinsed and uh, the reason that they were concerned about this was the calcium chloride that was listed on the label and they're asking isn't calcium chloride what is used to melt snow and ice on the street and why is this in beans Well, many canned vegetables and fruits have added calcium chloride because it firms the texture and it prevents mushiness. And the texture of fruits and vegetables is in part determined by long chain polysaccharides called pectin, and calcium ions can react with these, cross-linking the chains and leading to a firmer texture. So producers cannot just add substances to food randomly, of course, they have to be approved by regulatory agencies. And calcium chloride is approved for a number of uses that include addition to pickles to increase firmness uh, to make little spheres that resemble caviar from vegetable or fruit juice and reduce the need for salt since calcium chloride tastes salty it is also used to coagulate soy proteins to make tofu and to curdle milk proteins in cheese production calcium chloride is also used to add flavor to beer and as an electrolyte in sports beverages it is produced either from evaporating seawater or as a byproduct of the Solvay process to produce sodium carbonate from calcium carbonate by the addition of salt. The substance is extremely hygroscopic, meaning it picks up water easily, and that's why it's sprayed on dirt roads to keep the surface moist and prevent dust from flying around. You can also find it in salt to keep it flowing freely. It's even added to potato chips to reduce Use a natural carcinogen, so there's certainly no need to worry about calcium chloride in beans. Eat them to your heart's delight, as they say, beans, beans, good for the heart. But keep in mind that the more you eat, the more you, well, you know what. So there's really no reason to worry about uh, uh, calcium chloride. But I, I know that you know sometimes people um, make a in Valid associations, for example, you know, knowing that calcium chloride is is uh, strewn about on our streets in winter to to make. Idea what is it then doing in in our food? But just because a substance is used in one connection that has nothing to do with food doesn't mean that it can't be used in, as, as a food additive. I mean, obviously, there are many examples of that. Calcium carbonate, for example, is uh, is an ingredient in many, many antacids. But uh, calcium carbonate is, is also the ingredient in limestone that is used to make tombstones. So just because you find it in tombstones doesn't mean that it can't be used in, in, in food. As I've said so many times, the only way we can determine the safety and benefit of something is to study it, not by looking at its ancestry or by other uses. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll check CTV News and be right back. Science, you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Do you look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes? Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? When the problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? When you're ready for adventure on the science frontier. Okay, let's uh, get back to the phones. Uh, maybe someone has the answer to the tuba clarinet question. Jerry. Hi, Dr. Joe. Yeah, I was wondering whether or not it's because uh, the clarinet is a reed instrument and the tuba is a wind instrument. So the tuba player would be blowing more air out uh, and spitting at the same time, probably. I think that that's true. Yeah. And and interesting enough, this has been studied. You know, uh, and, and and the reason that it was studied, because if you remember, one of the, the, the first widespread infections we saw was in that, that choir, oh, yeah. the in, choir. in the state of Oregon. Right. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they, they are looking into all kinds of ways that this can be transmitted. So they look at musical instruments to see which can, you know, but I don't know how how. Potent those studies are, yeah. uh, but uh, but uh, I, I think the the bottom line here is is, is that uh, uh, any time that you're blowing out, there's always the chance of transmitting the the virus in an enclosed space, of course, usually in an enclosed space. So I I time. guess I guess you need to put uh, a mask on the end of your clarinet and your tuba. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, thanks yeah. very much for that, uh, uh, Carrie. Carrie? Yes, hello. Okay, and uh, I, I, I think we have a. Okay, we have exhausted. The the callers. I think that they uh, they all had that uh, that same answer. Okay, let's get down to uh, uh, something else. Uh, this morning on the uh, trivia show, I asked a question about uh, moderate consumption of of alcohol and this is you know an ongoing uh, issue and uh, i've uh, certainly spent a, a lot of time uh, looking into this uh, because of the you know the story of the french paradox and whether or not that glass of wine uh, a day is protective uh, or not and uh, uh, i can tell you that despite hundreds and hundreds of papers that have been Published uh, on, on this, and there really have been on on on, on alcohol. We don't have a concrete answer uh, about this. Uh, at most, we can say that that the you know moderate alcohol consumption, uh, that the pleasure of drinking the alcohol uh, uh, exceeds the the worry about uh, what other harm it may do. But but we really don't know. Anyway. I asked that question about consuming 120 grams of alcohol a week, because that is, uh, is thought to be a moderate amount. But of course, just saying that, that you shouldn't consume more than 120 grams of alcohol a week doesn't really mean much for the average person, right? Because what, what, how do you translate that into glasses of, of wine? So that's the question that I asked. So I said that the consumption of 120 grams of alcohol is considered to be moderate in a week. And I wanted to know how many glasses of wine that corresponds to. Now, in order to solve that problem, there's several things that you need to know. First of all, you need to know what is considered to be the volume of a glass of wine, and that generally is 150 milliliters. That's a glass of wine. Then you have to know how much alcohol there is in wine. And wine is about 12% alcohol. And then you also have to know the weight of a milliliter of alcohol that is the density of alcohol so here's the way to go about that problem we know that you want 120 grams of alcohol in a week the question is how much alcohol does that correspond to measured in milliliters well we know that one milliliter of alcohol is 0.8 grams so all we have to do is divide 120 by 0.8 and that gives us 150 milliliters of alcohol. But how much wine does that correspond to? Well, since wine is only 12% alcohol, you have to ask yourself the question 150 is 12% of what? Well, you do that calculation 150 mils times 1 mil of wine per 0.12 mils of alcohol, that gives you 1,250 milliliters of wine. How many glasses is that? Well, you just divide that by 150 because there are 150 milliliters in one glass. That comes out to 8.3, rounded off, that's eight glasses of wine a week. And that is indeed considered to be uh, moderate. Now, the interesting uh, question here that, that has been so thoroughly explored is whether or not that is really beneficial. And uh, this question really began to be asked in earnest in 1991 on that classic episode of the CBS uh, 60 minute show, uh, hosted at that time by Morley Safer, who unfortunately has passed away since, which was entitled The French Paradox. And uh, it featured the work of Dr. Serge Renaud, uh, who is regarded as the father of the French Paradox, And uh, very, very interesting uh, uh, researcher he was, he unfortunately also has now uh, passed away. He passed away in in, uh, uh, 2012, but uh, he has a very interesting connection to Quebec. When I left France, I couldn't imagine that there was a population in the world that didn't drink wine with meals, he said, when he came to Quebec in 1951. And he came here to study veterinary medicine at uh, uh, saint hippolyte which is a U of M's veterinary school. But he also found that he was much more interested in epidemiology. And after graduating, he took a, a degree he had a PhD in epidemiology and he ended up working at the Montreal Heart Institute where he studied the link between blood clots and heart attacks. And he really was the first one to investigate that in detail. And he concluded that uh, most heart attacks are caused by the formation of a blood clot. And then he began to wonder uh, whether or not diet was related to this. And he wondered uh, about this because when he came to Quebec from France, he saw the Quebec diet was very different from the French diet. First of all, wine drinking was was uh, not done on any kind of regular basis. And there was a very low consumption of fruits and vegetables and a very high intake of saturated fats. So he began to wonder whether or not this had anything to do with the risk of, uh, of blood coagulating and causing uh, blood clots. Uh, in 1973, he returned to France And he continued his work there and he showed that alcohol, in fact, reduced the clotting ability of blood in rats and and also in in people. And then he did something very interesting. He organized a mobile laboratory to travel around the country to take blood samples and determine the platelet reactivity, which he predicted was a risk factor for heart disease. And he found that in the Moselle region of France, there was a high incidence of heart disease, while in Provence, the incidence was low. And this parallel, the aggregation of platelets, that is the tendency to form blood clots. But why did this vary in populations? And uh, he uh, had people fill out dietary questionnaires and found that when the diet uh, contained uh, calcium, contained polyphenols as found in wine, alcohol, and um, a fatty acid called alpha-aluminic acid, that the diet then was protective. And when he heard about the seven country study by Ansel Keys, a classic study that had found that inhabitants of the island of Crete had a very low incidence of heart disease, despite having quite high cholesterol levels, he looked at their diets and he found that their diet was also high in alpha linolenic acid because they ate snails and nuts and a vegetable called purslane. And of course, they consumed moderate amounts of wine. And then Dr. Renault launched what has been called the Lyon Diet Heart Study, in which men who had suffered a heart attack were divided into two groups. Control group followed the usual recommended low-fat diet, and the experimental group followed a diet modeled on that of Crete. No butter, no cream, no milk, lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, bread, cereals, very little meat, and of course, wine with meals. And he also designed the margarine that was rich in alpha linolenic acid because walnuts, snails, and porcelain were not easily incorporated into, into the diet. And believe it or not, this trial had to be stopped early the groups. And the Cretan diet reduced cardiac death by 76% and heart attacks by 73%. And uh, of course, uh, this was because of the alpha linoleic acid and the alcohol as dr renault suggested and uh, this brought him to the attention of 60 minutes who f- then featured that classic episode of uh, the french paradox and uh, they made a big deal out of the wine connection uh, and the next day wine sales in the u.s soared. Uh, of course the situation is uh certainly more difficult than that, because the French, of course, do many other things differently from from us. Uh, The cheeses they eat are highly fermented cheeses. They may be protective because they benefit the microbiome. Uh, They do not eat between meals. They have three meals and the major meal is at at lunchtime. Uh, So there are many, many differences. But uh, the wine connection is interesting. So what's the conclusion these days? I think it is that if you enjoy having a glass of uh, red wine with dinner, there's no big reason to stop. But uh, there's no reason to start either if you do not uh, enjoy drinking wine. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll take a break, check traffic, and be right back. And I want to tell you all about the holiday of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We are born to do science. A baby can do it and so can you. We are born to do science. Just figure it out. Oh, I made a terrible boo-boo. I said that the vet school of U of M is in St. Hippolyte. Of course it's not. It's in St. Hyacinth. I don't know why on earth I would have said Saint Hippolyte. I, of course, I know that it is in Saint Hyacinth. Okay. Now, uh, those of us who follow Jewish tradition will be lighting the first candle of Hanukkah tonight, and uh, olive oil played a very important part in the Hanukkah story. Around 200 BC, Israel came under the rule of the Syrian King Antiochus, who wanted to obliterate the Jewish religion. Yehuda Maccabee led a revolution against the Syrians, and with an army of only 6,000, defeated an army of 47,000 men. Eventually, the Maccabees liberated Jerusalem and reclaimed the Holy Temple, which had to be rededicated by lighting the menorah, the continuous burning of which symbolized the union of the different types of Jews and the eternal presence of God. Only the purest olive oil was used for this purpose, and only a little bit was found in the temple. It would take at least eight days to prepare some more. Nevertheless, the menorah was lit, and by miracle, that little bit of oil burned for eight days until more oil had been prepared. The celebration of Hanukkah by Jews around the world commemorates the victory over persecution. It would be most appropriate to use olive oil, but for simplicity, candles are lit eight of them, starting with one on the first night and increasing by one each night that requires a different menorah, because the original had seven branches. So now we have the Hanukkiah, which is a menorah but it has one extra branch it's called a hanukia it has eight branches so it can hold the candles and actually it has another arm to hold the candle with which you light the others olives were a common food at the time and of course are still widely consumed in the middle east and it's a good thing we're learning that olive oil is one of the best oils it is composed mostly of monounsaturated fats that do not increase blood cholesterol Indeed, epidemiological studies of Mediterranean populations show that increased intake of olive oil is associated with a decrease in heart disease and even cancer despite higher fat intake. And that meshes well with the story I told you about Dr. Renault. In Spain and Greece, women who eat the most monounsaturated fat have the lowest level of breast cancer. A Swedish study of over 60,000 women found that increased intake of monounsaturated fat At the rate of 10 grams a day which is about one tablespoon of olive oil reduce breast cancer risk by 55 percent so that gives those latkes that we're gonna fry tonight in olive oil puts them into brand new perspective green olives are not ripe and are very bitter unless they're soaked in an alkaline solution which is done commercially if left on the tree green olives will eventually turn black but in most cases They are artificially blackened through a chemical treatment with oxygen and iron compounds such as ferrous gluconate, the same chemical used in most iron supplements. Olives contain compounds called tannins that react with ferrous ions to form a black complex resulting in a shiny black skin. I recall once going to a party when I asked a fellow guest to pass me the plate of black olives. He looked at me disdainfully. Those aren't olives, he murmured. Olives are green. Those are plums. At this point, I didn't want to get into an argument. So I just said, if you think they're plums, try one. He did <laughs> immediately spat it out. Worst plums I ever ate, he snorted. So anyway, that's the story of Hanukkah. And I want to, uh, together with uh, my significant other, Jody, we want to wish you a happy Hanukkah. And uh, I can tell you, she's an expert on, uh, on olives. She uh, eats them like they were raisins but of course only the black ones. And she also uses olive oil to make me the most delicious uh, salad dressings. So uh, happy Hanukkah to uh, one and all. All right, let's go to Dan. Dan. Hi, Dr. Joe. I had a question for you Hi. concerning uh, old microwaves. I have an old uh, Panasonic microwave. It's gotta be at least 30 years old, and I've been thinking- I like, have one if... too. I, I, I have really? one too, and it works perfectly well. So there's no problem with radiation i was thinking of getting a convection oven instead no there's absolutely no problem the the, um, microwave radiation is not ionizing radiation it does not break chemical bonds the only thing it does it makes uh, water molecules and fat molecules vibrate more quickly and that is what generates the heat and uh, furthermore uh, the microwaves uh are just inside of the oven, they do not uh, leak out, so no. And uh, I I, I find that uh, my uh, Panasonic uh, microwave, which I think is about as old as yours, is better than the cheap ones that you buy today. So I wouldn't worry about it, I would hold on to it. All right, thanks so much, I appreciate it. Okay, all right, Michael. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. I just wanted to ask you something. Um, any size bottle perfumes, we don't see any uh, expiry dates, but yet I know that after a while, if you don't use a perfume, the smell isn't the same anymore.
1: Are no, there for any sure. expiry I mean, dates?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there's no requirement for expiry dates on, on perfumes, but you're quite right. Uh, and uh, perfumes, of course, are very, very complex uh, chemical uh, entities. There are hundreds of different compounds in, in perfumes and uh, uh, the perfumers of course uh, are very secretive about uh, exactly how they concoct uh, their, their products but certainly some of those compounds are more volatile than others so as time passes some of them will evaporate out of the uh, perfume uh, then there are other complications uh, whereby uh, uh, oxygen reacts with some of the uh, components of the perfume So you're quite right, is that with time, the scent of a perfume will change, but no, there's no requirement to put uh, any date on it. Uh, First of all, it would be very hard to to predict that because it depends on how it's stored and where it is stored, but uh, because there's, you know, but there's no risk associated with it. So there's never been any motivation to put it on the label. Okay, Dr. Joe, thank you. All right, then uh, a very interesting uh, question from Nick, he always comes up with interesting questions. And it's about uh, whether or not it's possible to calculate the number of people who have ever lived. Well, I don't know how one does that, but apparently it is possible because there certainly are statistics about that. Uh, Statisticians somehow and demographers have been able to do that. And uh, the answer is about 107 billion. So about 107 billion people have ever lived. Uh, So there are about 15 dead people for every person that is now alive, which also means that uh, heaven is uh, quite crowded, although probably not quite as crowded as hell. So anyway, there are about 107 billion people who have uh, ever lived. Uh, Okay, someone is asking, what is the name of the margin that I spoke about? Well, the margin that was used in the study that Dr. Renault carried out was a margin that was specifically made for that study. It's not commercially available, but it was made with canola oil. So if you want to look for a, a margarine that, that, um, uh, replicates that, it would be one that is made with canola oil. But you also want to look on the label to make sure that the word hydrogenated does not appear, because uh, uh, if it's hydrogenated, then it's possible that there are trans fats in there. Okay, And the the question is, uh, and one last question is uh, about uh, tonight for someone contemplating uh, the frying of latkes uh, in uh, olive oil. Uh, is there anything dangerous because uh, it changes the chemistry of the olive oil? No, it does not. Uh, that that really is one of these myths that go around. Uh, frying in olive oil is perfectly fine. Uh, you, of course, don't want to reach the smoke point when it starts smoking. But if you're keeping the temperature down, it's very good oil to fry in. And that is it for today. Uh, we have run out of time. Uh, we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.